Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every retailer's mantra is, or at least it better be, get the right product to the right place at the right time in the right amounts. Yet in today's increasingly complex retail environment, getting this right is getting harder than ever. Of course, getting it wrong wreaks havoc on pricing, margins, financial liquidity, and ultimately consumer satisfaction. Luckily, there are technology solutions available to give retailers the tools they need to address these challenges. I'm Lauren Parker, Director of Sourcing Journal Studio Team, and in this exclusive roundtable, I'm joined today by Michael Appel, Managing Director and Head of the Retail Practice at Getzler Henrich, and also the former CEO of Rue 21. We also have in the retail side, Danielle Schmelkin, the Chief Information Officer of J. Crew Group. And then on the tech side, we have Greg Petro, CEO of retail tech company First Insight. They each bring individual perspectives to this very timely topic and will share their expertise on how technology can carve a path toward more precise product. Michael, I just want to start with you. What types of retailers does Getzler Henrich typically work with, and how do you work with them? Is it more about you know, financial restructuring, or do you work with healthy companies on just improving operations? Well, Getzler Henrich uh, um, works with retail companies um, up to a billion dollars, and uh, our focus has been always been on the middle market, uh, historically. And uh, in terms of the work that we do with our clients, it ranges really from financial restructuring from companies that are stressed or distressed, or also we do a lot of work in terms of performance improvement with healthy companies and companies that are seeking to, to uh, improve their performance. So retailers have always had to get product right. This is really nothing new. So why are things so much more challenging today? Well, I think if you look at the retail landscape today, uh, if you look at the cost of, of being a retailer and being relevant to its constituencies, you know, retailers today are, are omni-channel. So they've got brick and mortar, they've got uh, e-commerce sites, they have a presence on social media, which has really increased the cost of doing business. And so, you know, what's happened is, is that in order to remain profitable and become more profitable, you've got to wring more efficiencies out of your businesses. And so I think that that's a sort of an overarching description of what's, go you know, what's going on in, in, in that regard. And then, you know, if you overlay that with the macroeconomic challenges that retailers have been facing, right, there's more and more need to figure out ways to be more efficient, whether it be in inventory uh, or marketing or, you know, every aspect of the business. So I think that, that uh, it's just a lot more challenging. And I also think that, you know, uh, that the customer is changing so quickly and technology is changing so quickly. And those, those put increasing pressures on retailers to stay current, give the customers what they want, and the customers want everything, right, whenever they want it. And at the same time, um, go look forward to say, okay, how are we going to make this profitable? And Danielle, you've been in retail your whole career. 
right? So do you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I think that another factor is just the consumer has much more awareness now. And so, you know, and you mentioned it, you know, with social media and just information is there for the consumer in ways it never was before. And so the ability to create beautiful product is not just what they're looking for anymore. There's a much more broad awareness that they bring to the table. I remember years ago we were just thinking about, oh, they can see pricing globally and so you really have to think more broadly about you know transparency in your pricing but now it is um, newer brands are able to cut through in ways that they just hadn't been before right so you don't always have that advantage being a legacy brand that's right over someone that's new and emerging and Greg you want to weigh in well I think uh, we touched on a lot of topics and areas that there are challenges obviously but one is the consumer behavior and the consumer action and reaction. The idea is that they're constantly changing, but in a way that's been enabled socially for them to engage, but also to view information, as Danielle talked about, globally, instantly, and then make decisions based upon that. So one thought process that I think has been overlooked over a period of time is how fragmented the consumer is today. So when you think about a company and the fact that they're trying to create a set of products for a group of consumers, the question that I think has to be asked oftentimes is, who exactly is the consumer? And have you tried to understand what exactly you're trying to do to serve them in the product sets that you're creating? Because that behavior has changed dramatically and with you know, macroeconomic events, events that are happening societally, that's changing even more quickly than previously considered. So that's a dynamic that I think companies haven't addressed to a large extent and represents a big risk for them. So you think they're lumping customers all together too much? Well, I think it's hard. You know, if unless they're trying to actually seek out understanding, you know, I'm in the process of writing a piece around the idea that it's about zip code, understanding zip code, and the behavior within a zip code, and then even beyond that, the persona within the zip code of that individual, and how that might change, and the frequency of that change. So it's very, very hard to understand and predict that, and that's essentially what retailers and brands have got to do. Right, get really micro. Um, Danielle, what is J. Crew doing now regarding technology and product? Like, what have you tested, and what's working, and what do you see becoming increasingly important going forward? Yeah, I love that. Um, we really embed this from the beginning of product ideation all the way through the customer choosing. And what we're trying to do is create solutions to help our customer find what they're looking for. Um, and you know, when you when you look at any website, you know, as one of our channels. You know, there's just a few attributes that we'll put out there, but how do we enrich that with much more information such that that customer can have a more relevant search result, right? And you, I may search very differently than you for mm -hmm. a party dress, for example, and how do we make sure we both get relevant results? How do we make sure that we can give you confidence in the fit and size of that product, that it's going to fit you, even though you may not look like who we've shot that product on on the website? 
We also go all the way back towards ideation and really we're using 3D technologies to speed up our sample process and make sure that we're getting that product in the hands of our merchants more quickly so they can make decisions more quickly. So we've really infused it throughout our entire process of getting that product right, getting it in the hands of our customers. So just as a follow-up, if I'm not logged in as a customer, so it doesn't have my profile, but it can still tell what I've searched around. So yep. when I do search for that party dress, it can see the other five things that I search for to say that I would probably want this yeah, versus and, someone else. You know, we're, we're using AI for a lot of that where we will have product recognition, visual product recognition to actually say that that's a party dress, even if our merchants never said it's a party <laughs> dress because there are attributes that come up in daily life. We may not say this is a striped blazer, we may, mm -hmm. but you know, how do we make sure that when you're searching, you're going to put something very different in that search bar than I will, and we still want to get those same products to you. Danielle, I'm so glad you brought up AI because that's obviously so buzzy right now. We probably all read three or four articles on the train over here on AI. So just, Michael, how do you think AI can really enable the humans on the job and how can you help them not be afraid of it? Well, I think that the, the topic of AI, which has been so heavily covered in the media and continues to be covered, is something that everybody's concerned about. And I think a lot of people in retail uh, and particularly, I think, in the merchant category, uh, are concerned that, you know, if AI is helping them choose product, then, you know, maybe that's going to put their jobs at risk. And I think that what you have to do as, as management, and even in the C-suite, is to, to really sell the concept of utilizing AI as an enabler to help you do your job better. And I think that that's something that uh, is, is really really key in terms of, of having companies and the associates in the companies embrace AI as an integral part of, of doing business. And one area that you know, we, we talk about a lot that I have personal experience with is using AI in, in product selection. And we had a very interesting situation when I first went to Route 21 where we did a look back in terms of how the merchants uh, uh, picked a new product. And when we did the analysis, we found out that the 80 to 90 percent of what the, the merchants were picking uh, were failures. <laughs> and so that, that gives that gives and, and it doesn't mean that the buyers are doing a bad job. All right. It's just that they may not be considering, you know, all the elements that are important to the customer. And so uh, we were able to use AI very successfully in helping the merchants do two things. One is do a better job of picking new product, and also do, do a much better job of not buying product that wouldn't have sold. And that when you look at that in terms of gross margin performance, that's really powerful. So I think that's a good example of how, uh, how AI can really be, be helpful. And then when you, when you look at the results, and your margins are higher, and profitability is higher, and, and uh, bonuses are higher, that, that's a good way to sell it to the uh, associates. Greg, how do you feel about humans picking the product versus the technology doing the job? Well, that's a <laughs> loaded question, but a lot to unpack. So the first thing to think about is that when you're doing forecasting, which is essentially what merchants are doing, they're, they're forecasting what is likely to happen in a probabilistic way. The number one error rate to forecast, error rate 
basis is human bias. Hmm. It's been well documented um, around the idea that humans, while they well intended, certainly we all have a bias and consequently we bring that into our decision making. When you think about AI, and, and forecasting has been around for a while, right? 20 years or so, we've had enterprise forecasting models that helping helping companies do some of that work. But the resistance points that happened during that tenure of time were really about believability and trying to understand. So when I was engaging with merchants back then around planning tools, it was around, okay, how do we know it's going to work? I think AI is wholly different. First, I would co correlate it or relate it to examples of e-commerce, smartphones, technology that's been transformative, not sort of all the buzziness of other things that are coming to the market. AI is truly one of the big building blocks that you're not going to be able to ignore. So the idea that an organization or an individual can just simply try to ignore it and think it's going to go away or I can continue to do my job, I think that would be a huge mistake. Um, I think there's got to be a receptivity in our industry to at least learn and understand because, you know, it's interesting, I'm reflecting back on an experience called human computational modeling and it means when a human and a computer work together, the best outcome happens. Hmm. This was proven in Vegas actually, Las Vegas, in a series of contests where it was man or person versus machine and then they combined them and they used it in universities. And what they found was exactly that. When a human engages the use of computational modeling, which is the strength of technology, let it go through all the analysis, do the heavy lifting so that you can elevate your thinking, strategy, that's where you actually unlock a lot of power. And I think explaining that and educating folks in the industry around that is going to be the hopefully the transformative moment as opposed to trying to prove it because mm -hmm. it's already been done. The proof is there. The question is whether or not people are going to engage it and be successful at organizations. And I think it comes down to, you know, retail is obviously an art and a science. So you have the human element and then you have the computational element. Now, Michael, you've been in retail a long time. You've had an impressive career. You still do. Um, and historically, retail was always run by what we called the merchant kings and queens. You know, you had these pickers that we spoke about. And now finance and planning are always playing such an integral part in driving strategy and statistics. Do you think it's gone too far in the other direction to like a numbers game? Well, I mean, if you, if you look at certain results of certain companies that have been run, you know, financially over the last 10 years, one might say that. Uh, and I think, like everything else, it's a question of balance. Mm -hmm. You know, the best run uh, retailers have strong teams and, you know, there's a great balance between merchandising, planning, marketing, uh, you know, the CIO who's integral to what's happening today, all right? So, so you, need it, you need it all, and it's got to be balanced properly. And to, to some extent, too, you know, the board can play a role in that as well in terms of, of making sure that, that you, know, you, know, you have the right balance in, in, in that regard. And where is the CEO in all this? Is the CEO involved as much as they should be, or do you think these things are left to other departments? Well, I think it depends on the company, mm -hmm. all right? I mean, I think that a CEO 
that's going to be successful today needs to be conversant with all these areas. You know, you're not going to do the job of, of, your, of your CIO or your CFO or, you know, uh, if you have someone in data analytics, et cetera, but you need to be conversant with it and you need to understand what needs to be done and, and also what you're going to invest in, right? Mm -hmm. What's your capex is going to be in terms of that? And so, so I think that if the CEO isn't, all right, that, that person needs to be because they're going to be left behind in the dust. Right. At, at J. Crew, Danielle, how do you make sure that the departments are integrated so things aren't operating in silos where they're not speaking to each other? I think it comes down to we all really understand what are the goals of the company. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I tell my team all the time, and I've said this at every company I've worked for, I'm here to sell jeans and cashmere. I just bring my skill set to that, and my team's not here to code. We code to sell jeans and cashmere, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, we understand the bottom line is we have to sell more jeans, and so what are we doing to make sure that we're part of that? I think within J. Crew, most of our groups really think that way, and so it is starting from goals that the whole company shares in how we think about for each of our brands, what are we trying to achieve this year? Then of course, each department goes back and they have their specific roles that they play to get there. But I don't think anyone um, really loses sight of the fact that we're here to sell chinos. You know, that's, that's kind of a common thread that we can pull throughout the company. The name of this round table is Getting Product Right with Technology. And there's, there's an adage, uh, drowning in data starving for information because obviously just because you have access to all this data doesn't mean you know how to decipher it it doesn't mean you know how to apply it greg do you see this as the biggest challenge for retailers today i think it's certainly one of them right the there's um an enormous amount of data mm -hmm. sifting through it and developing an actionable tactic to the information that you understand is very, very difficult. Um, why? Because it can lead you in a lot of different directions. So I think first and foremost, organizations have to have a very strong strategy and point of view at the C-suite level mm -hmm. about what their objective is. And then they need to work tirelessly to collect information and formulate and structure it in a way that helps inform that decision in a in a completely objective manner and what I mean by that is even sales data historical sales data has a tint to it mm -hmm. because once you formulate your point of view and you execute that you've sort of predisposed yourself to what you didn't choose to do. And so you miss an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And all of that leads you to a point of view of, did you optimize the outcome? So organizations in retail are very simple in my mind. They're there to serve a set group of consumers. That's the commonality between any retailer or brand is they're there to represent the wants and desires of that. The creativity portion needs to come from them. But then there's a whole host of mechanisms that they need to deploy to make sure that their point of view is right sooner versus later. 
So I call it early exit ramps. If you're going to make decisions, and Danielle brought it up, if you can shorten cycles on anything to the demand side and understanding demand with your supply, you have a winning scenario, at least in the best case, right? And we're seeing that in business models that are being deployed right now where they're throwing out designs and then seeing how consumers respond. The idea has got to be, as, a, as organizations deploy this, how can I collect information? But, you know, an insight has a very interesting definition. Webster, I think, describes it as, or, or one of the dictionaries, as a deep understanding. So you can have lots of data, but if you're going to get a deep understanding, you're going to have to figure out exactly what you're looking at and spend a lot of time to... And how are these retailers training people to look at this data? Are they hiring more engineers? Are they going to training programs in-house? I think there's a piece that's also <laughs> generational as we get, you know, mm -hmm. folks right. joining our company who they're digital natives from the start. And mm -hmm. so some of this is just more naturally how some of our associates are thinking as they're joining our company. And so infusing some of that mindset with folks who've been here for a while and, and really working side by side. I also I want to follow on something that you said in, about the insight, which is, you know, as, as we're often producers of a lot of this um, information and, and what we try and do is never leave the analysis up to the audience. Like you mm -hmm. want to lead them. Of course, the discussion is there and it should be. However, we want the insight to be front and center. So you shouldn't have to have your audience sifting through the information to draw the insight. Mm -hmm. How do we do that as we're presenting it? And you have to be very macro and micro with it because any one of these larger insights will lead you down a path of more questions. But how do you frame it in such a way that is the larger pieces first, digestible, and then you can dive deeper. And I also think you really have to look at it through the lens of your consumer. And one of the things we don't talk enough about, I think, is really understanding, deeply understanding the consumer and what your consumer segments are, are and how they behave and what's important to them. And if you do the research, and we've tried to do that in the companies that I've worked for, is to really, to really understand who's shopping with you, mm. right? And it's not just one customer. You know, the old merchant princess says, oh, I know who the customer is. Well, that's not the case. They, there are many customers. And the questions become, like, who are the important customers? How do they behave? And when you understand that and you embrace that, then everything you do is looking through those lenses. And I think it makes it a lot more logical in terms of decisions that you make. And, and I think that the proliferation of data you know, makes it more difficult, but if you still have that overarching understanding of who your customer is, then you can, you can get there. And that's, that's something that was, is a little bit old school, but yet at the same time, the research is so much more advanced today than it was before. I so agree, and I, I think the proliferation of data, is, it, it's everywhere, and we now have the technology to harness it and say, we can actually design things for a segment of one. We don't want to do that all the time. It's probably not a segment of one, but if we want to, the technology is there. So how do we, how do we become more thoughtful around what are those journeys? And you know, I may be one customer one day, and then a different time in the season, I'm a very different <laughs> right. customer. And right. how do you see those signals? Because I'm telling you a lot by how I browse our channels, by how I may show up in the store, by how I may react to a social media post that we put out there. And so I think there is too much but we now have technology to try and harness it and create something even bigger from it. 
Exactly. Um, some retailers got so burned from, I like to call it the great inventory debacle of 2022. They had too much merchandise and they didn't have enough. And now some are leaning too heavily into basics as kind of a hedge because they're, they're nervous and they want a safety net. I guess we'll start with Michael. How can retailers really find that right balance? Well, you know, uh, it's, th this is something that's been repeated throughout retail history, right? We, we're, you know, we get very excited about things, we go overboard, and we're not really looking at what's going to be. And I'm, this is a big macro comment, but when you look at what happened um, in, in, you know, the, the, the last cycle, I mean, we, we had a particular event where uh, consumers were at home and purchasing lots of merchandise in lots of categories, but people weren't looking ahead necessarily to say, well, what's the world gonna be like next year when we're coming out of COVID and people are not at home and they're gonna be wanting to spend money on different things in different merchant categories. And you sort of saw that with, with what happened to the home business, which exploded. And now, you know, the, the home business is taking a, taking a breather, right? Because people have, they, they've spent a lot of money and they're, they're wanting to do other things. Now, the problem is, is that it's really the, the job of the leaders of, of these retailers to look ahead and say, what is the world going to be like? And how is that going to reflect how we're going to plan our inventories going forward? And that's a pretty hard thing to do, right? And also, when you look at it, too, is that historically, you know, if you've, if you've done 100 million this year, right? Uh, well, you got to plan another 10% up for next year. And you're not looking at the fact that, well, wow, COVID was a, was a sort of a, a seminal event never to be repeated. And what's that going to mean in terms of how we plan our business? So, so I think that, you know, it's a learning experience. But going back to, you know, playing it safe with basics, it's been my experience that playing it safe with basics is the road to disaster. Because what worked last year isn't necessarily going to work this year. And when you also look at the macroeconomic a situation this year where customers are really, you know, tightening their belt, right? You're going to have to uh, get them to pry open their wallets by giving them more exciting merchandise. So fashion uh, becomes more important. Uh, and so I think that, that those, are, those are all issues that, you know, that it's, it's up to management, right? And also even to the board level to question and challenge management as to are you, go, are you doing the right thing? And so, and I'm sure you have some, you guys have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love what you say about basics because I think it's not that simple. Basics aren't really that basic because I know I'm going to want another white t-shirt this summer, but it's definitely not the white t-shirt that I bought last summer. Mm -hmm. And so how are we evolving that concept of basics, even though we treat it very different than our, our fashion, you know, and so basics in and of itself is constantly moving, constantly. Forecasting is very difficult, obviously. And when you look at history, um, there's not a whole lot of new mathematical models around how companies can forecast. So when you start to think about the strategic plan, the first question in a, in a very provocative way I ask C-suite members when I meet with them is, number one, how are you planning your business mm -hmm. and why? So if you know it's a cyclical downturn for general merchandise, apparel, why are you planning up? And the answer is likely, well, the market's not going to respond well if we plan down. And, but the reality is you're going to experience it. So 
simple things like uh, what's a good product, right? A good product is one that sells well, that carries high margin, that has a velocity, sell-through rates, all those kind of metrics that we think about. Well, you could take a great product and kill it by just buying too much, right? Or overplanning your business. Right. Right. Uberous. So again, I go back to the simple idea of it's a difficult thing to forecast, but here's the idea. Just like when you think about the stock market, when you start to step back from it and lens out, macroeconomically, you can recognize what human behavior is. You can also collect information. There are tools that will allow you to collect information so that you can more better understand what your consumer segment is thinking about at that particular time and then have a, you know, for lack of a better term, an educated discussion internally about whether your thoughts of what you're planning to do are, are likely to occur. Because at the end of the day, I find that's the largest disconnect, is what you want to have happen and what is likely to happen can be vastly different. And you may even know it in advance, but you still go headlong into the idea of, let's do that. And that kind of decision making happens all the time in our lives, right? Where we make decisions, both personally and professionally, that, that are... That we know are bad for us. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't get out of your own way. Like, exactly. And I think, uh, unfortunately, when you're running an organization, you have a responsibility to thousands of people mm -hmm. to take the data that you may not like. And what I say to people is buckle up, because if you're going to ask consumers, they're going to give you input and you may not like the information, and then you've got to, to Danielle's point, if you give them the information, I think you do need to be prescriptive to executives, right? You can't let them find their way. Here's, the, here's what the data shows, and oftentimes they don't like it, but I think Michael and I were talking about an example he went through, where at the end of the day, though, that's what has to be done. Talking about forecasting, Sourcing Journal had done a survey and very interestingly we found that 54% of retailers are still planning future buys using historical data. And is year-over-year -year data even valid today when the consumer is changing so fast? And why are retailers so smitten with the past as they have to look to the future? Okay. Well, I think that, you know, historical data provides retailers with context. And I think context is very important. Uh, and, and let's face it, I mean, most retailers are going to still have the same merchandise categories from one year to the next. The question is going to be whether or not how much you invest in those categories and uh, and whether or not you're going to move uh, resources from one category to the next. And, you know, w what do retailers uh, see as the future? You know, what's next you're going to bring? And in the fashion business, that's really important because categories that are strong, that were strong last year, you know, with, with fashion trends changing can be quite different in the next year. So I think that, and that's part of what we do as retailers, right? Uh, in terms of we have, to, we have to understand the data, we have to understand what's going on in the environment and make the decisions for the future accordingly. And I'm sure my colleagues have plenty to say about that. Yeah, I, I think you're so right about the context, it, but it is an input, not the only input. Right. And, you know, I even go back to, you know, the, the changes that we all went through during COVID and, you know, what categories we leaned into and, and worked really well and what categories we, we really lessened. And, you know, think of men's suiting and, you know, that on purpose went 
you know, went really down and, and we thought about that. And as we saw folks going back into the office, we really were thoughtful about, okay, well, what should the category mix be? Of course, historical data is a piece of it, but it is just one piece. We have to be able to adapt with that knowledge that, you know, both the planners and the merchants bring to it. I would add a couple of things, a couple of thoughts. Number one, two dimensions on a product side or on a company success side. The product change, newness, and pricing. Those two dimensions uh, as it relates to using history to forecast really is like kind of baking a cake, right? Um, you have these forecasts that come in with history to Michael's point uh, and give you context, the framework. And then you've got to add in components. Danielle talked about different data feeds and created blended forecasts that's different for that situation, for that product. It may be newer product in that category. And you have the context of if consumers aren't spending as much in general merchandise, you may have to engineer the product for a lower price, regardless of how much you want your, your price to be set, if the consumer's not willing to pay for it. So I think there are dimensions that you've got to be able to blend together and model to come to a conclusion. The second piece of this is we all want to get um, comfortable again post-COVID. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to folks and they say, uh, you know, it's going to go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. And what I said is, that's fine, yeah, well, okay, great, maybe, but let's keep the agility that we learned during COVID to proactively begin to anticipate what he or she wants in the market and being very responsive to data and understanding so that gives you a signal out there so that you can react to it much quicker than we did pre-COVID. Because quite frankly, we're not fast now, but we were all even a lot slower back then. And I'm really, you know, what we need to think about is the dynamic nature of the consumer because she's gonna keep pivoting. And you can't control that. What you can control is having the tools and the attitude that this is something I want to do. And it's really, really hard, especially when I talk to CEOs who are kind of burned out from constant whipsawing their organizations to react to the consumer. But I love what you said, it's the tools and the attitude. Right. you got to go in with the right attitude that this is a, not going to change. It is your competitive advantage. Yeah, it's like the new normal, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. I want to squeeze in one more question before we uh, wrap up. Talking about the consumer with trends and preferences changing so quickly, how can retailers use technology to listen to the voice of the consumer and maybe see things that are bubbling up and then turn it around really quickly? There's nothing like listening to what's the chatter in the stores and our store associates, but when it comes to technology, we're, we're looking at what is being said on our social posts mm -hmm. and you know what our, what our customers are saying both about us about the products. Um, we're listening to what's coming into our call center. Um, and so we, we really have these different inputs that we're, we're weighing in a different way than we had been able to in the past. But I would say there's nothing like talking directly to your customer and hearing from them what's resonating, what are the things that are working, what are the things that are not. Okay, so we're going to do like a speed round, just kind of like 15, 20 seconds on your, your final wish list. What would you wish that could happen in the next year or so 
with technology and retail. Well, I would wish that retailers and the C-suite would embrace technology uh, and and do and, and really educate their 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 companies that that te technology is really going to move them forward to the future and and make them more successful. Danielle, um, my wish is that we could really mature the capabilities around giving you confidence about fit and style and you know particularly in our online channels how do you know from looking at a product specifically for your new customer that that is going to fit you and that the size is going to work and you know how to style it that's the holy grail <laughs> Greg yeah I, I um, wish that we as an industry uh, invest back into merchant training programs mm -hmm that actually involve technology as a toolkit to educate them as we were trained in earlier generations about being a true merchant. Uh, I think there are a lot of skills that have come about, but I certainly believe the ability to listen to consumers could be greatly enhanced uh, by leveraging some of the experiences that existed previously as well. Terrific. You guys have been a wonderful panel. Do you want to have any closing remarks, Michael? Yeah, well, I just want to thank my, my fellow panelists, uh, Danielle and, and Greg, for participating in this uh, great roundtable and, and Lauren for moderating it. And, you know, uh, Getzler Henrik is, uh, is really proud to be able to sponsor this. And uh, uh, we look forward to uh, engaging with our, with our retail clients and giving them the consulting advice uh, that will help them improve their performance in the challenging months ahead. Terrific. Thank you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.